0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 and consider the second half of this chapter tonight in a few minutes. Philippians chapter 3. I took many minutes this morning on the first half of this chapter, verses 1 through 11, in which our brother Paul made it very clear that all that he had once trusted in in the Jews religion was something he had given up for loss, total loss. And he counted it as but dumb, that he might win and know Christ and be found in him, not having his own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, that he laid hold of by faith, that he might by any means attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now he knew that he was going to attain to the resurrection of the dead, but he explained in those first eleven verses that instead of using Jewish means of salvation... He was using means of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and so though he had a resume very impressive, as the fifth and sixth verses describe, he counted those things that were once gained to him as loss. A young brother in our church came up after the service this morning and wanted to remind me that we still fight the same struggle that Paul had to warn the churches against in the New Testament. Because there are still elements of the Jews' religion infecting Christianity. There are some people that still think we ought to eat the way the Old Testament describes the way we ought to eat. Even though the Lord told Paul to tell Timothy that every creature of God is good and to be received with thanksgiving by them that know the truth. Now, if you're still stuck on eating Old Testament food, you don't know the truth. Every week of my life. Owning this, having this website for the church, I have to deal with Seventh-day Adventists who want to live under the Old Testament instead of the New. Because there is no Sabbath under the New Testament. Never taught, never practiced. Right. But they still want to be under Moses' law and keep Jewish religion. The young brother, Jonathan Carnell, realized that our nation is in the Middle East, in war, because we think that Israel is God's chosen nation. But we read very plainly this morning that the true Jew, the true Israelite, are God's regenerate elect. That if it's outward in the flesh, if you've got a birth certificate that says you're a Jew, or you've had circumcision as a Jew, that isn't Jewishness in God's opinion. Amen. A true Jew is one who's had his heart circumcised, right. and he's one of God's elect. Amen. We saw that. But our nation is embroiled in an ugly war in the Middle East. Because the fundamentalist aspects of our nation think that we're helping God's people by supplying Israel with the best military weapon that we can and then defending them against all their enemies. You know, prophecy is all bent on a 1,000-year millennium that will be observed in the Middle East with Jerusalem as its capital and animal sacrifices restored. That is just high heresy. It's not in the Bible. That's the imagination of men like C.I. Schofield. So we still deal with Jewish problems. And when Paul wrote a pastoral epistle to Titus, he warned Titus and he said, Don't give heed to Jewish fables. We still fight them. And the Apostle Paul had to write the first half of Philippians 3 because of Jewish fables. And he pointed out that though they might think they have something to trust in as being Jews, I have more. My resume is better than their resume but it's all lost to me. We finished at verse 11. Now let's jump right into verse 12. Paul said in verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What the Apostle is saying in this uh, this, 12th verse is because of my strong statement that I made in verses 8 through 11, that yea, doubtless, I want to live and be found in Christ Jesus, and count everything but lost and but dumb. Though I made that strong statement, do not think that I measure myself as having achieved the highest level of my Christianity and spirituality that I'm capable of achieving. Do not think that about me, because that's not what I was saying. I was just saying I have no trust in a Jewish basis for salvation and I've cast that all behind me and I have cast everything behind me that would distract me from obtaining the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He was totally dedicated to growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, not as though I had already attained. I haven't reached my final goal yet. Part of that goal is the resurrection of the dead which he just said by any means he wanted to obtain in verse 11. But it's also to receive the full prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we won't realize the full realities of that prize until we're with him. I haven't already attained. either, And I'm not already perfect. I haven't reached a place of total Christian maturity. I still am pressing forward. Because I've counted all these past things lost, does not mean that I've arrived and I can relax. The Apostle Paul never relaxed. And if there was any man, by reading Scripture, that we would think could have relaxed, it had to be Paul. I mean, if there was anyone that could have been perfect, or should be called perfect, it would have been Paul. But when Paul's speaking about Paul, he lets us know, I have not attained, and I'm not already perfect. For I follow after... I'm running behind someone. We're going, to see many, we're going to see several allusions to racing. Running. Would they have known what running was in races in Philippi of Macedonia, of Greece? Where did the Olympic Games originate? But in Greece. They knew them well. And so the apostle used what he had at his disposal to appeal to them of putting forth maximum effort. I have not already attained... I'm not already perfect, but I follow after. I continue pursuing that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. There's the words. Apprehend. To seize something or someone. To grab them. To arrest them. Now, the Apostle Paul was seized by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he was seized. And when he was seized, he said, Lord... What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord told him. And you know what? He went and did it. But he wasn't—he wasn't relaxing. Because he had cast his past resume behind him to win Christ, he still knew that he wanted to press on to win the fullest measure of Christ's approval and reception of him that he possibly could. Especially culminating in the day when we receive the prize of our eternal inheritance. And so he said, I follow after. If that I may apprehend, he knew he was going to apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's using this language in here to provoke the Philippians to want to pursue the same course that he was pursuing. You know why? We have been saved for a purpose. We have not been saved just to populate heaven. We have not been saved to fill up pages in the book of life. We have been saved to go out and live like the children of God. Isn't that what we learned last Sunday in Philippians chapter 2? For it is God that worketh in us both the will and the do of His good pleasure, but we are to work out that salvation with fear and trembling that we may be harmless and blameless without rebuke the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's what we've been saved for. So we've been apprehended for a purpose. And if we truly appreciate being apprehended by the grace of God, we want to apprehend that for which we were apprehended. We want to reason back through, why did God save me? Just to relax and enjoy the good life in this world, knowing that I'm going to go to heaven later? No. To follow after the Apostle Paul and to apply ourselves to learn and please and obey the Lord Jesus Christ as much as we possibly can. And to press after that goal, I follow after. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. When I look at Paul's life, I count Paul to have apprehended. What Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know, I would say Paul had made it. You would say the same thing when we read Paul's life. But he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, one thing, this is the trouble with Christianity in America today. They're trying to do two things. One, I want to please Christ, and not necessarily in this order. Two, I want to please myself. And you cannot do both. As soon as you try to please yourself, you are displeasing to God. As soon as you try to find yourself and find happiness for your little life, you are displeasing to God. Because He will give you happiness by choosing Him first. This one thing I do, not two things, because He's going to show us the error of the two things. What does the Bible tell us? What kind of a man is unstable in all his ways? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What's a double-minded man? He's got a mind that wants to please himself in the world and a mind that, yeah, I ought to please God too because after all, he created me and Jesus died for me. And he goes through this dilemma of a warfare that goes on all the time, and what does it lead to? Unstable. Instability. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so the Bible tells us to purify our hands and to purify our cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, be double-minded. Because the Lord wants us single-minded. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of your heart? 90% of it? All thy heart, soul, strength, mind. Because that's to be single-minded. I love that word one in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. America is sick with carnal Christianity, and it wants every one of us. Carnal Christianity is wanting our cake and eating it too. It's wanting the Lord and worldly pleasure. What did the Bible tell us? In the last days, perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of Pleasure. pleasures more than lovers of God. Amen. It's real easy to tell what you love the most. What do you spend the most time at? What do you think about the most? God or pleasures? It's horrible. See, we don't burn at the stake. They're not burning Christians at the stake anymore like they were for a number of generations. We face a more difficult enemy. And that's why it's called the perilous times. The encroaching of worldliness into our lives. We want one thing. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward. What else about this world? It has a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. That's the Christian world. That warning in 2 Timothy 3 is about Christians. Christians! Ask yourself, do I love God more than I love pleasure? When I have a choice between pleasure and the Lord, what do I choose? What would I rather read? Sports Illustrated or the Word of God? What do I read when I have the choice? that I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. He was forgetting everything that was behind. All Jewish things and all Christian things. He didn't care what he had done last year. He could have told you about it if he needed to to make a point in an epistle. Like he did in 2 Corinthians 11 when he listed his resume. But he only did that for the benefit of the saints at Corinth. He did not talk that way with the Lord, because this is one thing he did. He forgot everything that he had done before. And what you have done for the Lord before does not matter tonight. It's what you're going to do today for the Lord, tonight for the Lord, and tomorrow for the Lord if the Lord doesn't come. This one thing I do. And it's the one thing I want us to leave with today, wanting to do right behind the Apostle Paul forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. This is a man running a race. If you're running a race, you can't be thinking about what you did back there. Boy, I'm in the seventh lap of my ten-lap race. I sure was hot on the third lap. I was smoking on the third lap. You're in the seventh lap. All that should be concerning you right now is running that seventh and that eighth and ninth and tenth, the rest of our lives. Forget what's behind. Paul did Paul did not relax on what we would say his laurels. He kept on pressing. And we want to do that right behind him. He was reaching forth unto those things which are before, the days that he has left to him, and what Christ was still offering him that was out in front. He was a great apostle. He had opened and started many churches. But he was forgetting all that to press forward and to reach for what was offered out there by the Lord Jesus Christ if he would apply himself. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now without the emphasis on the the, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a mark. When they used to have races, there's a finish line, you know. They weren't that dumb back then. They had finish lines for races. And that was the mark. And if you got to the mark first, you got the prize. And Paul wanted to get to the mark first with the Lord Jesus Christ and get the prize. He wanted to labor so that he could hear the words when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He wanted that. And he was reaching forth and forgetting everything else he had done. Laps seven, six, five, four, three, two, and one did not matter now. It was laps eight, nine, and ten that were in front of him, and he was reaching forth to win that prize. And that prize ends, and the full prize is given when we're given eternal life, and we're we're accepted into the presence of God for an eternity with Him in heaven. That's the final prize. And the apostle wanted that. His whole life was geared toward his heavenly reward and prize of God's high calling in Christ Jesus. He pressed toward that mark. Verse 14, for for those of you that may mark your Bible or you're thinking about the whole chapter, verse 14 relates to verse 11. Because in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto a resurrection of the dead, and that was the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The ultimate prize is eternal life. And the Lord's approval of us. One thing. One thing. How will you work tomorrow? You know, men come and say, I have to go to work tomorrow. I'm so distracting. Well, the Lord knows you have to go to work. But how are you going to go to work? Are you going to go to work just to provide the necessary means for you to be a better Christian? Are you going to go to work to do it as unto the Lord? Are you going to go to work to live in such a way that you can be seen on the job as a Christian? Is, is your job going to be subordinate to this overriding goal of winning the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ? When you come home, are you going to be able to turn that work off? It's a choice. And turn on more your opportunity to train your children, read the Word of God, or keep yourself from being totally distracted from your job. It's an effort every day. Paul did it every day. You say, well, he was a minister. It was easy for him. Easy for him. Go read his resume in 2 Corinthians 11 and see how easy it was for him. He had to press every day. That's why he said in verse 14, I press toward that mark. One thing. America has now bought in to a lie that you can have both. Seeker-sensitive Christians, carnal Christians, contemporary Christianity, you can have both. You can't have both. You have to sell yourself out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sold himself out, and now look what he says in verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. As many as be perfect. Now, I thought Paul just said I am not perfect in verse 12. If he says he's not perfect in verse 12, and he says as many of us as are perfect in verse 15, what do you think we ought to do with that word perfect? Do you think we ought to divide it? it? Is perfect in verse 12, meaning absolute perfection, there's no more that he can do to add to his life? What's verse 15? 15 is every mature Christian in the church at Philippi. Because that's what perfect usually means. Someone has grown up to maturity and completeness. Look what it says in verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Every mature Christian in the church at Philippi should have the same mind as the Apostle Paul. One thing, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One thing. We all ought to have Paul's mind. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. If you, now I see, I see in that last half of that verse two, two things. Number one, if you have set your mind to be like the Apostle Paul, and there is something lacking in your life, the Lord will reveal it to you. And I know that from other scriptures that tell me that. That if you commit your works unto the Lord, He'll establish your thoughts. He will direct you and show you what is lacking in your life. If you're praying like David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. He will lead you in the way everlasting. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And then there may have been some members in there, in that church at Philippi, who weren't thus minded. Because notice, Paul only addressed address those that are are perfect. God will reveal that. You know, there's always a continual process in every church of members growing. We always want to be growing. We never want to become stagnant. We never want to backslide. We want to be pressing forward. But if you will commit your life to one thing, this one thing I do, He'll show you wherever you're lacking in your life that's not measuring up to that goal that He has set for you. Verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. As opposed to wanting to advance in that 15th verse, because nevertheless means is opposed to it. As opposed to wanting it to advance in that 15th verse, to have the mind of the Apostle Paul, let's also remember that we as a church where we have already attained The level of spirituality the church has attained and the different members in it. Let us walk by the same rule. One rule should govern the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is matters of liberty don't count. And we ought to be growing in the matters that do count. And that is the rule of New Testament churches. Because there might be a church member that has attained a higher degree of spirituality does not mean that his opinions on matters of liberty are of any more value than the lowest member in a church. God does not care what you think on any matter of liberty. As far as expressing that toward the rest of the church, we want to walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let us stay as unified as we possibly can and not let your advances in grace cause you to think that you're better than the rest of the church, we still must be of the one mind to the degree where we have attained. Now, individually, he has just told you in the previous verse, we want to advance. We want to advance. He says in verse 15, As many as are perfect, be thus minded with me that you want to press forward. But in the next verse, he says, Nevertheless, in spite of that, We still maintain church unity by recognizing that at any one time, every member is going to be at a different point on the spectrum of spirituality. And we want to walk by the same rule, and that is the Word of God and mind the same thing. We want to keep our unity at the level of spirituality that the church has attained to, though individually you're pressing higher. And the the goal is every member in a church should be pressing higher. 17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Examples are good things. You know, some people can't learn it from the word of God. They don't get it, they don't see how to do it. But there are examples in churches, and those examples ought to be singled out and followed. And the apostle here says, Brethren, be followers together of me and of others that walk like me, so as Ye have us for an example, and that so as is an adverb combination, meaning in the way that I and these other leaders in the church walk, you walk the same way. Verse 17. And so the apostle is encouraging the Philippian church follow me. I've just told you about myself. Nothing Jewish, nothing from the past. I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Follow me and mark them. You should be able to look through the church. If you are an average church member, look through the church and see the ones that are more spiritually minded than others. That is not a difficult task. All you have to do is have a few conversations with a person. When they want to talk about their job, you have someone that's not very spiritually minded. When they want to talk about politics, That's someone that's not very spiritually minded. When they want to talk about the Lord and the Word of God and thanksgiving and their salvation and the blessedness that they have in the truth, you found someone spiritually minded and they ought to be your example. And you ought to press after them in the race to win the prize. Now the Apostle wasn't going to let anyone beat him. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all when he spoke of using the grace of God that was given to him. So in that 17th verse, he's telling you to look for those and mark them that are spiritually minded and walk so as ye have us for an example. Not only is it taught, but the apostle said, follow me, go ahead and grab onto my coattails because I'm going. And if you can stay with me, I'm going to pull you along because I have one goal in life. And that is to please the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my might. You know why he told them in verse 17 to mark those that would be good examples? Because in verses 18 and 19 he told them about other church members. The ones I just alluded to that only want to talk about the carnal things of life. Look at what the apostle has to write and it's in parentheses. Verse 17 will take right up with verse 20 after he sticks this parenthetical element in here. Verse 18, the apostle wrote, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. The apostle has just described himself in 17 verses as minding heavenly things. He has said everything else in life is dumb compared to the heavenly things Of receiving the high calling and prize of God in Christ Jesus. Everything else is dung. Now that is a very spiritually minded man. Who says everything else I consider dung and I've counted it all a loss. And he says that's my mind. And I want you to be thus minded. And then he describes some people that mind earthly things. And the difference is huge. And I wish every one of you could understand it and know it see it. Follow the ones that are spiritual, appreciate them, encourage and exhort them, but go after the ones that are not spiritually minded and press them. Because that's what we must do as a church. The explanation of them is very simple they mind earthly things, they are so worried about their jobs, so concerned about their jobs. They think their job's important to their life. Because it's not. What in the world are you going to tell the Lord when him? Did you work hard at your job? Did you got a gold watch for staying there for 40 years? He's got a gold that exceeds your gold watch. Those things are not important. Politics aren't important. Advances in medicine aren't important. All these things that we talk about—cars aren't important, clothes aren't important, what you look like, girls, is not important. What's important are spiritual things and would God approve of me? Will the Lord Jesus Christ approve of me when I meet you? And it's the only way you'll ever be happy is making those things the most important things in your life. But that is not the point that that will bring you happiness. That's just the secret of God's Word. It says these people who mind earthly things, Paul said, many walk differently than those that I want you to follow. Verse 17 said, Brethren, Watch me and watch other men that walk like me so that you have us for examples. Then he said there's other kinds of church members that walk differently. He is not talking about the world. Do you think that the Apostle was contrasting Paul and the other elders of the church of Philippi with the world? No. He was contrasting them with carnal church members. For many walk, of whom I have told you often. Remember in verse 1 of this same chapter he had said, it is not grievous for me to remind you of these things. I've told you these things before, and now I'm writing the same things to you. Because this is such a fundamental and important lesson. In the average church, there is no difference made between the spiritual members and the carnal members. They're all just treated alike. But there is a difference. And you should we, we should be able to see past and see the hearts of men Because they show in their actions. And we need to help one another, but the only ones you want to be following are the ones that are spiritually minded. Because that's what the Apostle has just told us. And Paul said that he he told them often, and he told them even now, weeping. He's telling us that he had used tears in describing this dilemma that would come on the churches of carnally minded church members. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They are not living the life that is that is associated with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ died for us, Paul reasoned very simply. If he died for me, then I ought to live for him who died for me. And when a person's living for themselves, when Christ died for them, it's an enemy of the cross of Christ. You're disgracing the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. God is going to destroy them. Now listen, there's church members that are destroyed in church. Ananias and Sapphira, and many members of the Church of Corinth, whose God is their belly. Now that is just plain apostolic language, that's plain Bible language. It's used in Romans 16. Whenever you like something in this wor- world, all you're doing is being a belly worshiper. You ought to go to bed at night and stick a candle in your belly button, and pray to it, because there's no difference. If you are pursuing your happiness and pleasure in this world, you are a belly worshiper. Belly is used as a synecdoche for the rest of your body. You are just concerned about getting bodily pleasure, mental pleasure, whatever other kind of pleasure, out of life. You're a belly worshiper. The God, the thing that you worship, the thing you give your time to, your money to, your attention to, your thoughts to, is your body. So go ahead and light a candle and stick it in your belly button. Whose God is their belly. They're more concerned about what they eat, what they wear, what they drive, what they live in, what the front yard looks like, and everything else to do with their belly. Whose God is their belly, and yet they claim to be Christians. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they're concerned about having all their fun in the world. They're belly worshippers. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul spoke of them weeping that they had come into the churches. And he told Timothy that it would be worse in our day. The perilous times of the last days would come when there would be few spiritually minded like the Apostle was. God is their belly and glory is in their shame. They glory in things that are ridiculous. They glory in their looks. They glory in their clothes. They they glory in their jewelry and their accessories. They glory in their cars. They glory in their houses. I've mentioned these things. They glory in their jobs. They glory in their promotions. They glory in their titles. They glory in those things and it's to their shame because there's there's no value in those things. How much of that are you going to take with you? How much of that is God going to recognize when He meets you? None of it. They glory in what should be shameful. That those who have been saved by the God of heaven by His grace and savor the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, would get all caught up in all these things. And you just be honest with me. Because I'm honest with you. All of our hearts are tempted to do that. All of our hearts are tempted to do that. And so the Word of God comes to us just like this, where the Apostle Paul explains what is so horrifying to him are uh, that there are two kinds of church members There's those that walk like the Apostle Paul, and there's those that mind earthly things. And may God help us to be thus minded to be minded like the Apostle Paul, and not minded like these people who mind earthly things. You know, all you young people, you're fools. You don't know anything about life. You can't help it. You were born dumb and you're still dumb. As soon as you're my age, you'll look back and you'll Every single one of you. Unless you're a reprobate. Foolishness is bound in your hearts. Every thought that you have, every thought that you have that is not given to you is stupid. Because you have to be given wisdom. Because you weren't born with it. The Bible says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. I mean, it's there. We try to get rid of it. We preach, we talk, and we've spanked you. Precious little things. And it's still there. You know, we try to drive it from you, but you've still got it. We still have some of it. But all you young people need to listen to this. We live in a generation where you're being bombarded with all these so-called exciting things that are going on out there in the world. Do you know what those exciting things are and what they lead to? Prison, divorce, dysfunction, pain, drugs, and every other problem or an attempted solution to a problem. Those people aren't happy out there. Oh, the free love of Hollywood. Really? Is Hollywood happy with their marriages? Why do they all get divorced? If Hollywood is so happy with all their stars, why are they drunk and on drugs? It doesn't work. They mind earthly things. And you young people, there's a salvation that you were given. In addition to the one I'm describing here, you were given parents. It is amazing to think that a 15 year old thinks that no one else has ever lived her life or his life. A 16-year-old boy doesn't think anyone else has lived his life. We've already been through it, you know. It was just a year. Then we were 17, and we thought about being 16 for a year. And I've been through this so many times. You know, I'm 47 years old. I've had 30 years to think about the insanity of being 17. I've had 30 years to think about it. You know, I'm not sure if I did the same thing while I was 17. 17. When I think back, I would have to use a fine-tooth comb to find any sane thing I did as a 17-year-old. I was, I was forced into do sane things. Because a 17-year-old doesn't know how to think sane. Unless God has had great mercy on his soul, and unless that 17-year-old is submitting to his parents. Because then you have the advantage of what I'm talking about. 30 years of thinking about being 17. Now, unfortunately, I have a brother sitting in the back row, nodding his head vigorously. Because he remembers when I was 17. Thankfully, I don't have my parents here tonight. Because they remember when I was 17. Young people, here's the Word of God. If you mind earthly things, if you like the people of this world, the things of this world, you are taking glory in things that you ought to be ashamed of. We're all looking at you, and we're ashamed that you're not ashamed of yourself. We're ashamed that you're so dumb you're following the things of the world. You're glorying in things you ought to be ashamed of because that's minding earthly things. You ought to get a candle tonight and put it in your belly button because you're minding earthly things. And your end is destruction. And it will come as sure as the sun is going to rise tomorrow and the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. Destruction will come. To everyone that sets themselves against the word of God. I've been smashed down in my life. And so have most of the other adults in here. And it's amazing that a child wants to come along and think that they're smarter than their parents. And we've already lived our life for them. Twice told and we're trying to save them from that trouble. But the Apostle's trying to save us from some trouble. Amen. And so we have two verses in parentheses where he warns us there's two kinds of church members. Follow the ones that are like me. The ones that are not like me that my earthly things are going to be destroyed by the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 20 connects to verse 17. Whenever you have parentheses in the English language, That means you can consider what the material that was in those parentheses by itself. It has a context. You can consider it by itself, and you can go back to what was before the parentheses and connect it to what comes after. And so we can read, verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example, for our conversation. See, Paul and the other elders at Philippi, our conversation, our manner of life is in heaven. All we're thinking about is heaven. Our choices are made in light of heaven. Our affections are in light of heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able, even, to subdue all things unto himself. Now that's a long sentence. But what it means is, that's the prize. That's the prize that Paul was pressing for. It's in heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that he was looking for who's going to change Paul's vile body, make it like unto his own glorious body by the power in which Jesus is able to subdue all things to himself, including your decaying body. That's the goal right there. Spiritually minded people think of heaven. Spiritually minded people are considering the Lord Jesus Christ and looking for Him. They rejoice in the power of God, not what He did in the Old Testament, but what He's going to do for their corrupt flesh one of these days by giving them a glorified body to live in heaven forever. And that's what we should follow. That's the one thing we want to do. Forgetting everything that's behind us. Yesterday and the day before, last year, and all those years that you wasted in sin, forget them all. And for those of you that have lived most of your lives a Christian life, forget it all. Press forward. Reach forth. Run. Don't look back. And seize what we have been seized for. We have been seized to live all out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And our conversation should be in heaven. Our lives should look like heaven is the most important thing to us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.